You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. So glad that you are here. We're going to be uh, starting in Ephesians 5 today. Ephesians 5, verse 21. I'm going to be reading from the NIV translation. Uh, also, if you have the Bible app on your phone, the Uversion app, you can go and you can uh, grab our notes for the sermon from there, and that might help you follow along. So Ephesians 5, we're going to start in verse 21. I'm going to read through verse 33. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes the following. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's pray together one more time, and then we'll dive into it. Father, once again, we just come before you, and uh, none of us um, are here just because we need to be entertained or we just need something else to add on our already busy lives. But I recognize right now that the people are here because we know there is something more than what we just see, that you are the ultimate reality. And we come today to align our hearts with yours, specifically today around this purpose of marriage. And I just pray, um, I know we're all over the room today with some who are single, some who are married, some who've been divorced, some wondering if they will ever be married, some wondering if their marriage will ever be turned around and it will be what they were hoping that it would be. And I just ask that, Holy Spirit, that you would do what I cannot do. You know every single person here. There is nobody who you do not see. You know us better than we know ourselves. So, Holy Spirit, please take this word, take this message, and minister it to each and every single heart in this room in a unique way that is for our good and the good of our marriages and your glory. And it's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, I believe in love at first sight. Kind of. Um, It was an October morning in 2003 at the Buckle in the old Indian Mall. I was there working, and there, all of a sudden walking through the door, was Megan Hawley. She's a beautiful 18-year-old girl who just so happened to also love Jesus And I remember whenever I saw her, the very first thing that came to my mind is, I wonder what we'll call our children. Like, I really, 
believe that she was the one for me right out of the gate. In fact, I told my boss, I said, she's the one. He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, she's the girl that God wants me to marry. And so he encouraged me to pursue her. And sure enough, I did. And after about four or five years, eventually I wore her down and we got married. And just look how happy that we were for about three or four months. And then we realized um, that we're actually two very different people. Uh, and, um, you know, as the saying goes, opposites attract and then they attack. And so um, we realized early on my wife, uh, I'm a three on the Enneagram. My wife is a type nine. Uh, I come from what psychologists call a code culture, which means like my family valued things like efficiency and task and getting things done and, and keeping everything tidy and clean. Uh, my wife comes from more of a warm culture, which is more relationship centered than task oriented. And my wife doesn't really get in a hurry uh, for much of anything. And and she is, uh, she's okay with laundry being on the floor or if there's, you know, like goldfish crackers in her van or whatever else. It drives me wild. And, uh, you know, we, we took a personality test early on in our marriage, uh, and it said that if she was going to be an animal, she would be a warm, fuzzy kitten, and I would be a Doberman pincher. And so... Um, <laughs> We're like on two totally different ends of the spectrum. And, and, and you take all that and you couple it with the fact that we came into marriage with generational sins and bad habits and unrealistic expectations. And as you can imagine, within a short time after coming home from our honeymoon, this electric feeling of being in love began to fade away. And increasingly, we became more and more aware of each other's failures and flaws and all the nasty stuff that is inside of us. And since that time, we really have had a lot of great memories. We were even reminiscing on those last night, looking at pictures on my computer. But we have also um, realized that marriage is not easy. And we've had good times and we've had really hard times. In fact, just yesterday, as we were trying to install our third microwave in our house within 24 hours, which is a long story I'll try to tell you about more uh, later, but um, we're sitting there trying to install the microwave. And at one point, I literally thought I should probably call Adam and ask him to preach this message because I think I just disqualified myself uh, from ministry. And so... Um, so there have been times in our marriage where we have been firing on all cylinders and it's been like a storybook. And then there's been times where we have had fights and we've yelled and we've said really hurtful things and times where uh, we have both wondered, and I know she probably has, of like, man, did I make a mistake in saying I do for the rest of my life to be with this man? And the chances are, if you are in the room and you're married, like that's not going to come as a big surprise or a big shock to you because you know just how difficult your own marriage is. How hard it is whenever two sinners say, I do, and try to live one life as one flesh. We've all seen the statistics that tell us that 50% of all marriages end in divorce. Which is crazy because what that means is if you look in this room, one out of every two couples will not make it to the end, statistically speaking. And so marriage, though it's beautiful... It's also very challenging. It takes a lot of work. And therefore, in light of that this morning, I want to do some work with you. I want to try to lay the foundation for what the scripture says a healthy and flourishing and life-giving, God-honoring marriage actually looks like. And before we dive into it, I think it's important that we set the context because whenever Paul was writing the letter of Ephesians, he was not writing it to you and me, but he was writing it to a specific people in a specific time and a specific place. And in this context, the people that Paul is writing to here are living in a patriarchal society within the Roman Empire. And here's what this basically means. Uh, what this means is this is a time period where women were considered to be inferior to men. 
It was a time period where men were always to be in the front and women in the back. And so, for example, one of the ways this played itself out is because women were considered to be lesser in creation than men. A female babies were abandoned far more than male babies. And if there was a divorce, no matter who was at fault, even if it was the man's fault, by Roman law, a child would have belonged to the man or the nearest male relative just because they were considered to be able to take care of the kids better than the women. On top of this, because women were considered to be weak in judgment, uh, they were by and large kept in the home with very limited role in the public. And though the wife was expected to be faithful to her husband, it was socially acceptable for the husband to have multiple mistresses, to visit prostitutes, and to have gay sex with young boys without any repercussions simply because he was a man. Now, as you can imagine, women, there were some ladies back then who were not cool with this. And so they began to kind of push back on this patriarchal society. And so when this letter was written in Ephesus, there was a growing uh, feminist movement where women would say, hey, anything a man can do, we can do. And so historians tell us women began to do things like go and hunt pigs bare-breasted. Or they would like try to lord their authority over their husbands. Or they would seek to get a divorce, right? Just to try to get out from underneath the authority of the husband. And so um, this is a really interesting time period. And this wasn't just, this is a great of women. It wasn't just something that we see in like the secular community. Like it also happened in the religious community. For example, um, there was within the Jewish world, Jewish men would literally start their mornings with these one sentence prayers that went like this. God, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. So like literally, that's how religious men would start their prayer. And, and, and there's so much more I could share about this culture. But here's what I want you to realize. When Paul wrote this letter, he was not writing it in a cultural vacuum. But he is very aware of what is going on around him. And he wants to now bring this message of Jesus to bear on the social structures of this day. And he wants to do so for the purpose of showing men and women how to practice the way of Jesus together within their marriage, despite the fact that it's going to be completely countercultural around them, right? It's going to be completely uh, controversial to any other message that they are being fed in the culture. And the reason I say that this is countercultural and it's controversial is if you look back in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, I want you to notice how Paul, as he's writing to a group of people living in the society dominated by men, by men who are ruling over their wives with an iron fist. In verse 21, the first thing Paul says you need to know about having a healthy, happy, and holistic marriage is this. Verse 21, that husbands and wives, he says, you are both to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, yes, wives, you are to submit to your husbands. But he is also saying, likewise, husbands, you are called to submit to your wives. Now, in a lot of the culture we just talk about, this is a statement that would not have angered the women. It would have angered the men. It would have been the men who would have read this and been like, Paul, what in the world are you talking about? Because again, this is a culture where women are expected to bow at every command of a man. It's a culture where women have no place in society. And yet Paul, along with Jesus and along with the other writers in the scripture, because they believe women are actually equal to men, because the, the scriptures teach that, me, uh, that women have a seat at the table, that their voice matters, that they are valued, what Paul says here is this, when it comes to marriage, you need to realize there is a mutual submission. Wives, you are called to submit to your husbands, but husbands, likewise, you are called to submit to your wife. 
And if you notice in verse 21, in this mutual submission, when he says you're to submit to one another, who are you to submit to one another out of reverence for? Yeah, you're to submit to one another, he says, out of reverence to Christ. This is so important because what you need to know today is the entire Christian life, including our marriage, is fundamentally about self-denial, which is why it is in such stark contrast to a culture that's all about self-fulfillment. To be a Christian is about carrying with you a sacrificial love for the sake of others, which is why when you read the scriptures, we see one of the primary marks of a disciple is one who is learning how to love others sacrificially and then extending that love to one another all the way down to our enemies, just as Christ has done for us. Therefore, in light of that, the goal of marriage, what we see right out of the gate, the goal of marriage is to make sure that the same sacrificial love that you say you believe Jesus has poured out for you through his death is now being poured out for one another within your marriage. This is a revolutionary idea in the first century. And it's not just something that Paul talks about here. He talks about it in other places. Uh, one of those, for example, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I can put it on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 3, Paul says this, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. Now listen to this, ready? The wife does not have authority over her own body, but she yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but he yields it to his wife. Now, can you just imagine for a second being a Roman man and hearing Paul say that to you? You have been told your whole life, because you're a man, you can have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want. You just do you. And now here comes Paul on the scene. He says, actually, um, men, husbands, you need to restrict your sexuality. Because though, yes, you have authority over your body, over your wife's body, she also has authority over your body. So you see it again, like it's this idea of mutual submission. Wives, you're to submit to your husbands, and husbands, you're to submit to your wives. Now, that being said, what Paul is going to go on to say next in Ephesians 5 is so important. Because what Paul is about to say to us is that though husbands and wives are equal in essence, they are not equivalent in function. In other words, though both husband and wife are called to submit to one another, the way a spirit-filled woman is called to submit to her husband is going to look different than how a spirit-filled man is called to submit to his wife. So both are mutually to submit to one another, but based on how they're uniquely made as image bearers of Jesus, that's going to determine how you uniquely submit. And what I want you to hear today is, listen, according to Paul and Jesus and the writers of the scripture, this is not oppressive. This is actually a gift from God given to us for the purpose of helping us image our triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, who were in submission to one another and to show the world a picture of the relationship that Christ has with his bride, the church. That's what Paul is about to say. So I just want to to make sure that's clear because please hear me, despite what culture tells you, these roles, the roles of a husband and a wife, they are not interchangeable. Like the way that we go about this, the way that we do this matters because it's telling a greater story, a story of the union of the relationship between Christ and the church. Does that make sense for a couple of you? Okay, awesome. Um, So here's what I want to do. 
in the time that we have left, I want to talk about these roles and what they look like specifically. And I want to talk in just a moment about, as wives, how you are called specifically to submit to your husband. But I want to start first with talking to you men about what it looks like for you as a husband to submit to your wife. And so if you look back with me in our text, in verse 25, here's what Paul says, men. So pay attention, get ready to take notes, focus. Here's what Paul says. If you want to submit to your wife out of reverence for Christ, verse 25, here's what you do. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now I'm going to make a stereotype. In general, men across our culture right now are functioning as childish consumers. And before women we beat up on these men, what we need to realize is they did not have good fathers who knew how to pour into them. These are men who grew up in a home with a father who either was there or was not there and had no idea how to raise sons. And as a result, either the father walked out on his kids or if he was there, he really wasn't there. Does that make sense? He didn't know how to emotionally connect with his sons in any way. And as a result, what we now have in our culture are men who have grown up without the tools they need to actually know how to be men. They are what one author calls now boys who shave. And these boys who are in men's body, right, they often, without even realizing they're doing it, get married for selfish reasons. And so, for example, when they get married, they don't say, what can I do to meet the needs of this woman, but what can she do to meet the needs of me? And though this is incredibly common in our culture, if you notice men, according to Paul, as a husband, you are called to submit to your wife. And how are you called to submit to her? By loving her as Christ loved the church. Now, this begs the question, at least it should, how did Christ love the church? And here's what we see, three things. Again, if you want to take notes, man, I encourage you to do that. As a husband, the way that you submit to your wife, again, is by loving your wife as Christ loved the church. And the first way that we see this means that you love your wife is you're to love her with a sacrificial love. With a sacrificial love. In verse 25, the word for love that we see here is the word agape, which is the same word that we see used in John 3, 16, where it says God so loved the world or so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so the first thing you need to understand, men, is is whenever Paul says you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church, he's saying you are, men, to love your wife with a sacrificial self-giving of your life kind of love. And husbands, listen, Your wife's response in this equation is irrelevant. You are called to love your wife no matter what she does to you. That's what we see with Christ. Christ did not say, you move towards me, you do something nice for me, then I will pour myself out for you. No, like even if your wife doesn't meet your needs sexually... Like, even if she's not performing or doing exactly what you think she needs to do as your wife, you are called by God to submit to your wife by giving up your selfishness and by giving yourself completely to her. That's what Paul says. 
And this is what we see with Jesus, isn't it? I mean, Jesus, the one who made the world and holds it together, gets down on his knees and says, now watch me wash my disciples' feet. (laughs) They should be washing his feet. And yet in complete humility, he does it. He moves in compassion towards the last and the least and the lost of society that most of us would overlook. And then ultimately, like we see, he goes to the cross and he bears your sins and my sins and he sets aside his glory so that we can now enter into his glory. And husbands, listen, you're called by God to love your wife like that. You are called to submit to your wife by loving her as Christ loved the church, which means you are to to set aside your preferences and your comforts and your selfishness all for the benefit of your bride. And that's the first part of what this is about. Secondly, you're not just called men to love your wife with a sacrificial love. You're also called to love her with a sanctifying love. We see this in verse 26 and verse 27. Paul says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now listen to this. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I am not proud of this. But whenever I got married, though I never would have said this out loud, I honestly thought that I was marrying a woman so that she could get behind my vision and make much of my life. And I remember she like even wrote a card to me one time that just said, like, hey, wherever you go, that's where I'll go. So if you pass your big church, small church, you're in Africa, Paragol, like, I just feel called to you, and I'm just, I, I'm going to go with you wherever. And I love that. I was like, yeah, man, like, she's just getting behind me. Like, yeah, she's going to do what I want to do. And there was something like about that still to be respected for sure. But as I began to dive into this text, as other men began to open my eyes to see this passage in a fresh way, I realized that Christ has a vision for the church. And according to verse 27, his vision for his bride is to present her in radiance. And I thought God gave me a helpmate to make me radiant. Reality is, men, God, if he has given you a wife, which none of us deserve, by the way, men, if we can agree with that, it is your job to love your wife with a sanctifying love, which means that you are to give yourself away so that your wife, by God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can become everything that she's destined to be in Christ. This means that, husbands, your call is to cultivate the soul of your wife, to make eternal deposits into her heart so that, again, she can, through the power of the Spirit, grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus, which means she can, over time, experience more joy and more love and more peace and more of the life she longs to experience. She can, because of your leadership and your love, become radiant. That's the call. This is crazy to me. Like, Did any of you men, did anybody have that conversation with you before you got married? Like, this is what you're being called to, bro. Like, anybody had that conversation? And yet, like, this is what the Scripture says. And for the, for the record, men, this doesn't mean that you're, like, beating your head or your wife's head with, like, what's the phrase? It doesn't mean that you are beating your wife over the head with a Bible. It doesn't mean that you are trying to play the role of the Holy Spirit and convict her of all of her sins. But here's what this means. What this means is if you are going to present your wife as holy, men, you have to personally pursue holiness. 
the greatest gift you can give to your wife, the greatest way that you can love her with a sanctifying love is for you to abide in the love of God through, the, 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 through what he has done for you through Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. You cannot, men, pour out of an empty cup. You cannot give your wife what you personally do not have. And so if you want to love your wife with a sanctifying love, you need to do this. You need to commit your life to three things. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. That's what this is about, to love our wives with a sanctifying love. Third, what we see next is this. Not only are we to love our wives with a sacrificial love, men, and with a sanctifying love, but we're also to love her with a satisfying love. In verse 28, Paul says, In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Now, there are two very important words in here, and it's the word feed, which means to grow your wife, and it's the word care, which literally means to warm your wife. And so in essence, if you break this down, men, what this means is by how we love our, li- our wives, we are to move them towards a desirable direction. You are, it is your job as a husband and my job as a husband to live with our wives in a understanding way. To understand what's inside of them. What are their passions? What are your longings? Like, how do you think God has wired you and what can I do to love you in such a way to help you get there? Like, that's what is behind this. Men, you are to love your wives in such a way. Chances are, your wife will outlive you, statistics tell us. And you want to love your wife in such a way that when she is old and sitting in a rocking chair, she can look back on your marriage and say, you know what? We made a lot of mistakes. We didn't get it all right. But man, what a ride. Like, like that man opened up my entire life. Like, he saw things in me I didn't even see in myself, and he helped me become what I never thought I could become. That's how we're to love our wives. Like that's what's behind this word, to feed her or to nourish her. We also are called to care for her, right? Or to warm her, which means, husbands, rather than comparing your wife to other wives, rather than pointing out her faults, you are to delight in her, to value her, to prize her. You are literally, rather than throwing cold water on her, you are to warm up her life as a result of your presence. Now, can we all agree, men, like that's not easy? Like anybody in here just killing it in this area? (laughs) And this is why we desperately need the Holy Spirit. It is why whenever Paul talks about marriage, he positions it strategically after talking about how to live a life filled with the Holy Spirit. Because he knows you can't do this by yourself, doofus. Right? Like like you're going to need the power of God in you. I'm going to need the power of God in me. And the good news is we've already sung about if you're in Christ, you've got it. You've got everything you need. Despite the daddy that you had or didn't have, you have everything you need to love your woman the way Christ has called you to love her. This is not easy, men, but it is our call. This is our duty. We are as husbands to submit to our wives by loving her as Christ loves the church. And again, that is with a sacrificial love a sanctifying love and a satisfying love. Next, women. Ladies, you too have to learn how to submit to your husbands. And before I show you from the scripture how you are to submit to your husband, I want you to notice who you're being called to submit to in this passage. You are not, as a lady, despite what culture is telling you, you are not being called to submit to every and any man just because he's a man. 
No matter what he's like. You should, you just, that's just the way it is. He's a man, you're a woman, so you submit to him. That is not what the Bible teaches. Certainly not what we see taught here. But rather, though you're not being uh, called to submit to every man, you are being called, notice ladies, in Ephesians 5, to submit to a man who is dying to self in order to present you in radiance. You are being called to submit to a man who is doing the best he can to love you with a sacrificial, sanctifying, and satisfying type of love. And so here's what this means for you ladies. In the words of John Tyson, if you find yourself married to a man who says, woman, submit, you should respond with, man, die. Because that's what Jesus did for his bride. And so, yeah, ladies, you are called to submit, but you're being called to submit to a man who is seeking to love you as Christ loves the church. You're being called to submit to a man who is already, despite how you respond to him, laying down his life for you so that you can experience in Christ the deeper life that you're longing for. With that being said, ladies, here's how you are to submit to this type of man. Verse 33. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Within this verse, there is tremendous insight for every married couple in here. Okay? You're going to get free counseling right here. And if you apply this, it could change your marriage for the better. What we learn from this verse, starting with you husbands, is within your wife is one question that she wants you to answer for her. And you want to know what the question is? Here's the question every single wife is asking of her husband. Do you still love me? Or if you can be honest, you wish you'd married somebody else. Do you still love me? And will you love me to the end? No matter what. And if you're a wise husband, you're going to realize it's in your wife and you're going to do whatever you can to answer that with a resounding yes by how you look at her, by how you touch her, by how you talk to her, by how you live around her. For the wives, there's also an insight from verse 33 that we see in here. And it's this. Deep down in the heart of every man, no matter how tough your man looks, is self-doubt. And here's the question that your man is asking. Do I have what it takes? Am I man enough to meet the challenges of life? Every man's asking that. Am I going to fail at this one chance I've got at life as a man, or do I actually have what it takes to go the distance, to fulfill my destiny? And if you are a wise wife, you're going to realize, no matter what your husband tells you whenever he leaves here, that is in his heart, and you will therefore give your life to speaking to those insecurities with an assuring voice that says, I am proud of you, I love you, I believe in you, and by God's grace, I think you absolutely are going to fulfill God's call on your life. That, ladies, is what respect looks like. It looks like rather than you competing with your husband or undermining your husband or belittling your husband or making little jokes or passive-aggressive comments about your husband to supporting him and following him and showing him that you trust him. And I know that being said, listen, for some of you ladies, this is not going to be easy, which is why you also will need the Holy Spirit. Because some of you ladies, you are married to men who up to this point have been living as childish consumers. 
men who have not been pursuing you or pursuing Jesus. And I know that it will be so easy to just like turn away from this and say, well, I can't do that, not with my man. You just don't understand who I'm married with or married to. I get that, but listen, from my pastoral experience over the last 15 years, please hear me, ladies, not one time that I can think of, not one time have I ever seen a man flourish under a sarcastic, hypercritical woman who's always picking at her husband. Not once have I seen a man flourish in that setting. In Proverbs 21.9, it says, It is better to live in the corner of a roof than with a quarrelsome wife. In Proverbs 27.15, a quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaking roof to her husband. It drives a man mad. And so I would just say this, ladies, if you want to crush your husband, belittling, pick him apart. But if you want to breathe life into his soul, respect him. That's what we see right here in Ephesians 5, verse 33. And I know, listen, for some of you ladies, here's going to be the temptation. You're going to walk out of here, and your husband, he might actually, through the power of the Spirit, be inspired by this message, and for the first time ever, try to pursue you. And so he's going to come to you, and here's what, I'm just going to tell you, this is going to probably happen to some extent. He's going to decide he's going to try to pursue you, to love you with a sacrificial and sanctifying and satisfying love, and he's going to say, you know what, let's go on a date. I'm going to take you on a date tonight. I want to treat you nice. And you're going to be expecting Omars, and instead you're going to get Grecians, Right? And so you're going to be thinking, like, he's taking me to, like, the most high-end steak dinner. Like, I'm going to get the cowboy ribeye, but instead you're going to get, like, an eight-ounce top sirloin. It's going to be tough, right? Or, or you're going to be thinking, like, man, I'm going to be getting a bang-bang shrimp, and I'm going to be getting this and that, but instead you just get, like, a little salad bar with fake bacon bits on it or whatever else. <laughs> and I love Grecian, by the way. If you work there, you own Grecian. We love you. Like, it's, <laughs> I just want to make sure that's very clear. But here's what's going to be the temptation. That's going to happen. You'll be like, I knew you couldn't love me. I knew it. It's ridiculous. Like, I'm done with this. And I just want to say this. Like, if your husband is doing the best he can, if he's really putting effort into this and he is moving towards you as gangly and awkward as he is when he's coming towards you, If he is moving towards you the best he can with the sacrificing and sanctifying and satisfying love, ladies, you respect the effort. Respect the effort and encourage him and build him up. Build him up. And the goal in all of this for the husbands and wives, listen, ultimately marriage is not about you. Your marriage is not for you. But your mutual submission, more than it's about making much of you, it is about making much of Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul says in verse 31 and 32. To end, he says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Paul says, I don't even get all the implications of this, but I'm telling you this. It has to do with Christ and the church. When you give yourselves away for the other, you literally preach the gospel to the world around you. You preach the good news of Jesus. By how you treat one another and love one another, you give people a picture of the beautiful love that Christ has for his bride. That is why Frank Viola says it like this. In Genesis 1 and 2, the Bible opens with a woman and a man. In Revelation 21 and 22, the Bible closes with a woman and a man. The Bible opens with a wedding and it ends with a wedding. It opens with a marriage and it ends with a marriage. Your Bible, therefore, is essentially a love story and your marriage has the ability to prove that out. Amen. Amen. To end this morning, your marriage is not about a contract that you can opt out of when things get difficult, but it's about a covenant where you say, I will be to you as I should be, even if you're not going to be as you should be to me. 
It is not about an emotional attachment, but a whole life union. It's not about personal fulfillment, but about fulfilling the other. It's not about consumerism, but commitment. It's not about your own rights, but it's about responsibilities. It's not about your individual happiness, but your holiness, which, by the way, will lead to your happiness. And then finally, you know this, your marriage is not salvation, but it's a picture of salvation. This is what we learn from Ephesians 5 about marriage, which means this is still an incredibly countercultural sermon. Did it just get darker in here? <laughs> Setting the mood as we come in for a landing. <laughs> that was unintentional. I'm really not sure what happened. But that reminds me of the notebook. Thank you. Um, can we put the, uh, the notebook? There it is. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not agape love. That is straight eros. That is erotica right there. And if you've ever, how many of you have watched the movie The Notebook? Okay, wow. Somebody amen when I asked that question this morning. I said, Is anybody, how many watched The Notebook? Someone said, amen. It's like, wow, okay. Um, I don't really know. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen The Notebook, but I know this much. It's about this blue-collar boy who pursues his southern belle, and he sweeps her off his feet, or off her feet, and he does things like hanging from the Ferris wheel with one hand, and be like, I'm not, I'm not letting go until you say you're going to go on a date with me, and she's just so impressed by this guy, and he, he takes her on adventures, and it's great. And then all of a sudden, if we go to the next slide, you just fast forward a little bit, and here they are, and they're old, right? And he's still pursuing her, and it's sappy, and it's so romantic, and it's great except for one thing. You know what you don't see in this movie? All the stuff in the middle that got him between that first date to there. You don't see disappointment. You don't see hurt. You don't see fighting. You don't see sickness. You don't see bad breath and body odors and bad moods. You don't see demanding kids who are always, Mom, 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 Dad, Dad, Dad. You don't see, you don't see poopy diapers. You don't see any of that. And what's so tempting is for us to look at what Hollywood has sold us and say, yeah, that, that's what I'm looking for. Pick your game up and be that. That's the temptation. Guys, that doesn't exist. What you need to realize today is if you want a healthy and happy and holistic marriage, it will not happen apart from you dying 1,000 deaths to yourself along the way. Thank you. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna clap, you just go all in. Not a golf clap, you just get it going. That's awesome. Um, You don't get there apart from trying to find satisfaction and salvation in your spouse, but you realize that true satisfaction and true salvation is found in Christ, and therefore from that place of fullness, you then pour yourself out with plenty for the benefit of the other without expecting anything in return. You do that, and you'll be amazed at what happens. And a lot of that this morning as we end, some of us in the room today... We need to repent. And repentance is not a bad thing. Repentance is a good thing. Some of you in here today, you need to repent. Wives, maybe you need to repent of the fact you've not been respecting your husband. You've been belittling him. You've been cutting him down. You've been comparing him to other guys that you think is more spiritual than him or whatever else. And it's just degrading him and robbing him of life. You need to repent of that today. For some of you men, you need to repent of the fact that you have not been pursuing your wife and pursuing Christ 
You repent of the fact you not take responsibility for your own holiness. You need to repent of the fact that you've not been considering her needs. For some of you men in here, you need to repent of the fact you've been looking at pornography. And you've been using the excuse, of, well, my wife just isn't meeting my needs sexually, so I have to go somewhere else. You need to repent of that. Some of you need to repent of looking to the other to do for you what only Jesus can do. And here's what I would encourage you is, as we end today, is to not just ask yourself and evaluate, is there something I need to repent of? But what I want to encourage every couple to do is this. And I don't, don't go talk about it, just do it. I want to encourage you to do what we're just calling kind of a 30-day mutual submission challenge. To where husbands, you commit to loving your wife the best you can as Christ loves the church. Just the best that you can. And Luke brought this up this morning after the first service, thought it was good. Maybe a good way to start there is to start by saying, hey, how am I doing at loving you? Like, do you feel loved by me? What are some ways that I can actually love you in a healthier way? How can I help you flourish? And then wives, what I want to encourage you to do is to work hard at respecting your husband. Stop just sitting around and thinking about all the stuff he's done wrong and choose to think about what he's doing right. And praise God for that. And praise him for that. And say, man, I, I breathe life into your husband. Look for ways to encourage him and build him up this week. Because I'm telling you, he's beating himself up and nobody else around. Because guys, we're the worst at this. We always just like make jabs and jokes at each other. We're not building each other up. So he needs you to build him up. Do that. Take time to encourage him. And if you will do this this week without expecting anything in return, if you say, I'm going to be to you as I should be, even if you're not as you should be to me, I believe that you will see your marriage transformed in ways you can't even comprehend. And it will be not only for your good, but it will be for God's glory. And as a result, through your mutual submission, through your spirit-filled submission, you will not only thrive, but Jesus Christ will be made famous in our city.